Hey listeners, Drew Humphrey here, and I want to invite you to check out the Shook But Not Shaken podcast presented to you by Highland College Ministry. This is a podcast designed primarily for college students, but all are welcome to check it out as we find some creative ways each week to remind ourselves the truth from Hebrews chapter 12, which says that although we may be shook, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. We're going to have a little bit of a different plan for every week, so I encourage you to jump in and stay connected with us. We encourage you to stay connected to your church family throughout these unexpected days, and maybe this podcast will be a good resource for you. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Praying for you and love you, Highland. You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Thank you, worship team, so much for leading us today in so much power, so much joy over an empty tomb. Well, most of you would probably expect us at this time to go to one of the gospel stories of the resurrection of Christ, but I'm going to do a little misdirect this morning. And instead, let's go back 2,000 years before an empty tomb and talk about a guy named Job for a few moments at least. Stay with me here. Job had everything, and then it was all gone. In in, in a 24-hour period, Job had to bury his 10 children. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the hurt and the turmoil going on in the heart and the life of, of Job? His friends turned against him. In fact, his friends were ranting and and raving. They were ranting how Job must have done something wrong, and they were raving on how right they were about everything. And then Job's wife, Mrs. Job, she said, curse God and die. How's that for a supportive spouse filled with mercy toward her husband? But also he lost all of his wealth. He lost his health as well. Theologians, they theorized that perhaps he had leprosy or maybe a virus or a bacteria and Job's health was declining he had so much in fact he had it all then it was all gone and he is sitting in a heap of ashes a a picture of hopelessness a, a picture of the hurt a picture of the turmoil in his life he had everything and everything was now gone and he was in great pain and life just gets to him With your copy of God's Word, would you go with me, please, to that Old Testament book of Job. And let's go to Job chapter 19 together. Job is the book right before the Old Testament book, the book of Psalms. And so if you'd find your copy of God's Word, and let's turn there together to Job chapter 19. I'm going to read a few of these verses just so that we can kind of capture together this morning the pain and the suffering, the difficulty that Job was going through. Job chapter 19, let's begin in in verse 2 together. Job chapter 19, verse 2. Job asks these questions, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me, and are you not ashamed to wrong me? Then in verse 7, Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He, speaking of God, has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he, he has set darkness upon my paths. God has stripped me from my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And my hope has been pulled up like a tree. 
verse 13. He has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. Verse 17 of that same chapter. My breath is strange to my wife. I think my wife has said that to me often in the morning. Your breath is very strange to me today. My, my breath is strange to my wife. And I'm even a stench to the children of my own mother. Speaking of his siblings. Verse 19. All my intimate friends, they abhor me. And those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh. And I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Verse 21. Have mercy on me speaking to his friends have mercy on me oh you my friends for the hand of God has touched me what Job is saying is will someone have pity on me will someone see me in my circumstances of suffering and difficulty and sadness and loneliness and isolation will someone have pity upon me will someone see where I am look what he writes in verse 23 Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Job is saying, I wish I could write my story down. In fact, I'm going to write my story down on a rock. I don't want people to forget this. And people may not even believe the difficulty and the loneliness and the hurt and the suffering that I am going through. He was in a place of darkness. Job was in a place of despair and hurt and loneliness and felt like everyone had left him and everyone had abandoned him. Have you, have you been there before? Are you there now? Listen, friends, on this Resurrection Sunday morning, we need to start with this. Sin has brought hurt to all humanity. Job's story is our story. It's the story of of every man and woman and child in the world today. Sin has brought hurt to all the world. Sin has brought hurt to all humanity. All you have to do is, is, is watch the news or look into a jail or look into a courthouse and you see that sin has impacted everyone We see that sin has brought hurt to to all of humanity. Sin has brought hurt to the lives of your friends. Sin has brought hurt to the lives of your neighbors, your co-workers, your relatives. I am certain that sin has brought hurt to your life. But in the middle of that hurt, don't miss this. Job catches a glimpse of a Savior who is coming for him. Job sees a picture of a Savior coming to rescue him. He sees Jesus. He sees his redeemers. And it's it's one of the, the biggest turnarounds in all of history. In Job chapter 19, look at verse 25 with me, please. And don't miss this part. In the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the sadness and the sorrow, Job exclaims, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. For I No, listen how emphatic that is in the life of Job, even in the middle of his hurt. All the the, the rages of, of the effects of sin that have impacted him, in the middle of that, he says, for I know. It's not a feeling, it is a truth. For I know that my Redeemer lives. 
how personal Job looks up and sees a picture of Jesus, his Redeemer. There's a few things I want you to know this morning on this Resurrection Sunday morning. You might want to write these things down or consider these things with me on this Resurrection Day. Here's the first thing. God has given us a Savior who is greater than any situation. God has provided for us, just as he provided for Job, he has provided for you a Savior who is greater than any situation. All throughout the book of Job, we see Job saying, I have lost much, I have suffered much, I have wept much, I have seen much, but I know that my Redeemer lives. A Redeemer. It's the same word as an avenger or a defender. In the Old Testament especially, the word redeemer was someone who was close to you. Someone who was able to rescue you or to help you out of a situation. Remember, Job felt like no one cared for him. Look back in your passage in Job chapter 19, verses 13 and verses 14. He says his brothers were far from him. His family was far removed. And those who who know me, those who are acquainted with me, they are wholly estranged from me. Look at verse 14 again. My relatives, they have failed me. Even my close friends have forgotten me. So here is Job in the middle of isolation, in the middle of a shelter in place, and there's no one else around him at all. He feels that no one cares for him and that no one is concerned for him. And then here comes Jesus. Here comes this Redeemer saying to Job, I I care for you. You can count on me. There is one who cares for you. And Job understands this is my Redeemer. One of the most well-known stories of a Redeemer in the Old Testament is the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She lived on the east side of the Jordan River. She lived on the east side of the Dead Sea. She was not of God's people. She was of the unchosen. She did not belong to the family of God and had no place among the people of God. She married a Jew, and he dies there in Moab. And So Ruth returns to Israel with her mother-in-law, who is Jewish, and they return to a small town that you're probably well acquainted with, the small city of Bethlehem. But there in the city of Bethlehem, in the nation of Israel, Ruth still does not belong. She needs someone to provide for her. She needs someone that will give her a standing among God's people. She needs someone to provide for her. And so there's a man who is a relative of her, of her deceased husband. And he is able to redeem her, but he is not willing to redeem her. And then comes upon the scene a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz is a relative of of the late father-in-law, her late father-in-law, and he is able to redeem her. But not only able to redeem her, he is also willing to redeem her, willing to give her a standing among the people, willing to provide for her, willing to help her. Not only was Boaz willing and able, but we also see this morning that Jesus is willing and able to save He is willing to save you today, to provide for you today, to give you a standing among God's people. Praise God. We have a Savior who is able and willing to save us out of our despair, to deliver us out of our sin. He is the only one who can save us from our brokenness, from the hurt, and from the despair. I don't know what your situation is today. 
can probably guess that many in our nation today, many who are watching today, there are fears financially. Maybe there's some difficulty happening in your family or in your marriage or relationally. Maybe there's some, some spiritual questions that you have, even in the middle of all the hurt going on around our world. And I want you to know this. We have a Jesus who is superior to your situation. He is greater than any situation you might find yourself in today. The second thing I want you to see from this passage is that God has a plan that is greater than our pain. God has a redemptive plan that is greater than any hurt, any pain that we might go through. Consider with me the emotional pain that Job certainly had. Uh, Back in verse 9, it says, verse 9 and verse 10, that, that, that God has stripped from me my glory. He has taken from me the crown from my head. It is God, he said in verse 10, who breaks me down on every side and I'm just gone. My hope has been pulled up like a tree. Think about the emotional pain that that Job was bearing. Maybe there's some watching today and there's some emotional pain that you are bearing. But also Job was going through physical pain. Pain in, in his body. If you look at verse 20 with me again, it says that my bones are sticking to my skin and to my flesh and I have barely escaped. What he says there is I barely escaped death. By the very skin of my teeth, I was almost gone. I was almost dead. I I could not eat. My, My flesh was sticking to me. My bones were sticking to my skin. Here's a man who not only has emotional pain, but physical pain. And I know there's some watching today that you feel pain in your body, a physical pain. Maybe today you sense that emotional pain. Earlier in this book, his friends, Job's friends, didn't even recognize him because his body had just withered away in pain. But then he comes to Job chapter 19, verse 25, and he says, but I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm in pain emotionally. I'm in pain physically, but I know That my Redeemer, he's alive, he lives. The Hebrew word there is a short word. It's the word kai in Hebrew. And the word kai means active and moving and living. It's the same word used of a bubbling, flowing brook. And Job says, but I know in the middle of my pain, I have a God who is alive, who is moving, who is acting, who is living, who is bubbling up, who is a flowing God. He understood in the middle of this pain, God had a plan. Look at verse 26. And after my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God. Look what Job is saying. He says, because God lives, I'm going to live also. In fact, I will live forever. Even after I have died, it says in verse 26, I will see God. And that is good news for us because the mortality rate of humanity right now is running right at 100%. We're all going to die one day. But for those in Christ, we have a Redeemer who is alive and who saves. God has a plan that is greater than our pain. Here's the third thing I want you to see from this passage this morning. God has an answer that is bigger than our hopelessness. Job, at the beginning of verse 19, or chapter 19, was, was in the middle of, of hopelessness and despair. He just wanted to give up. and say, In fact, he says, I'm gone. I, I am done. I am laying down to die. This was a man that had no hope. 
With your Bible still open there in Job chapter 19, just go a few pages over to the left and look at Job chapter 14 with me and look at verse 10. Job chapter 14, verse 10. He says, but a man dies and and is laid low. And man breathes his last. And where is he? As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. To the heavens are no more. He will not awake. He will not be roused out of his sleep. It's interesting in verse, verse 10 and verse 11, Job is actually describing the evaporation process that scientists wouldn't even discover for another 3,000 years after this was written. But he is saying in the same way, my life is just evaporating away. I'm going to die and I'll never have hope again. This was before he saw his Redeemer. This was before he saw Christ and believed that he would see this Redeemer with his own eyes. Here is a man that says, I'm going to die and all my hope is going to die with me. But it all turns around in Job chapter 19, verse 25, when he says, For I know, I know now that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he, this Redeemer, will stand upon the earth. Even when my flesh is destroyed, I will see my Savior. Two things I want you to see about that second part of verse 25. When he says, at the last, he will stand, and he will stand upon the earth. Two things about this Redeemer. One, he takes his stand. That's a legal term. It is what a lawyer or an advocate would do in a courtroom. That lawyer would would take his stand, that defense attorney would take his stand in the courtroom and would plea before the judge on behalf of his client, would plea before the judge on behalf of the accused. As we have said before, Jesus is our defense attorney. And he pleads for us with his nail-scarred hands. He pleads before his father, the judge. He stands for us. It also says that he takes his stand upon the earth, that he will take his stand on the earth. So not only will this Redeemer, Jesus Christ, stand, he will stand with us. Where was Job? And in Job chapter 2, verse 8, it says that Job had taken pottery shards and, and was cutting himself. So cutting is not a new 21st century term he was cutting himself with that pottery and he was just sitting in a pile of ashes he was in a place of despair a place of hopelessness and I want you to understand this God sent his son Jesus Christ to stand with us in the middle of our hopelessness in the middle of our despair in the middle of our fear in the middle of uncertainty Jesus takes his stand with you we have a resurrected savior in Jesus who is greater than all of our hopelessness. Several years ago, I got a very interesting book that I love reading through. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It gives you a lot of ideas on how to escape from quicksand, how to wrestle an alligator, really important stuff in here, how to break down a door, how to land a plane. A couple of my favorite chapters in here, the first one is How to Escape from a Mountain Lion. Um, maybe I could ask you, how would you escape from a mountain lion? Would you, would you run? Well, this book says that you're not supposed to run. In fact, if you run, you're dead because that mountain lion would love to chase you. He's already smelled you and he'd love to, to run you down. Should you play dead? No, in fact, if you play dead, you'll be dead because that mountain lion would love to come and eat you up while you're laying down the ground playing dead. 
Another thing it says here is that if a mountain lion begins to chase you, turn around and, and open up your coat. So make sure you wear your suit coat when you go hiking, when that mountain lion comes out at you. It says if you have any children with you, put those children on your, on your shoulders so you can appear bigger. But what you're supposed to do if you see a mountain lion is slowly back away from that mountain lion. I may have just saved some of your lives by telling you that. How about this? How to survive if, if your parachute fails to open? First thing it says here is as soon as you realize that your chute is bad, then signal to your jumping companion. I wonder what that signal would actually look like. And when your companion and your new best friend sees you, you go to him when your chute's not opening and you lock arms with him. Once you're hooked together, the two of you will still be falling at a terminal velocity. That's an unfortunate use of that word terminal there. Going about 130 miles an hour, you then hope that your friend's chute opens up. If there's a body of water nearby, both of you should head for that body of water. Nothing in here at all about jumping alone. I think if you jump alone, you're just out of luck. Worst case scenarios. Here's some I have for you today. I think a worst case scenario for you is living without Jesus. I mean, how do you make it through every day? How do you make it through decisions? How do you make it through family and marriage and relationships? How do you make it through a pandemic without Jesus? A worst case scenario for all of us today would be living without Jesus. But there is a scenario that is more worst case than that. And that is dying without Jesus. If you die without Jesus, you will spend an eternity away from God. The worst case scenario I could consider today is dying without Jesus. It was only 35 days ago that very few of us were considering a daily death count in our nation. We don't know when that day will be. I don't know when my day will be. You do not know when your day of death will be. But the worst case scenario is you dying without Jesus. Praise God. He has provided a way for you today to turn to the Son, to turn to the Redeemer, to turn to the one who saves and place your life into his life so that you can live with Jesus and you can die with Jesus and you're promised an eternity with the Father. The last thing I have for you today is simply this. Because of his resurrection, Jesus is greater than death. Because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ is greater than death. Nicholas I was a czar in the Russian Empire, in fact, at the zenith of its power back from 1825 to 1855. Nicholas I was a mighty man. He was a, a, a warrior and, and held great power, and people were very fearful of him. The, the Russian Empire stretched halfway around the globe, encompassing 12 different time zones. The best friend of Tsar Nicholas I died at a relatively young age and left behind a young baby boy. The Tsar felt it was his responsibility to care for his best friend's son. And so he helped to raise him, gave him an incredible education, and then gave him a phenomenal position within the military put him at a military post as the quartermaster, which meant he oversaw all the supplies and all the money. But the temptation grew very great for this young man. 
And soon he found himself stealing some of the supplies, stealing some of the items, stealing some of the money. And day after day, week after week, month after month, even year after year, he would steal supplies, he would steal the rubles, and he made himself wealthy. But one day the notice came to this military post that the czar, Nicholas I, was actually going to come to that post to do an inspection. This young man was so fearful, he realized there's no way he could ever pay back all that he had stolen, all that he had taken. It would take more than a month. It would take more than a year. It might even take a lifetime for him to pay that back. So this young man, this young quartermaster there at the military post, wrote a suicide note before his adoptive father, the czar Nicholas I, came to the outpost. His suicide note simply said, this debt is too great. Who can repay? This young man drank some vodka, pulled out his gun, but fell asleep in the warm cabin. Nicholas I came that evening, went into that cabin to say hello to his adopted son, and he read that suicide note that said, the debt is too great. Who can repay? And the czar wrote one word across that note, Nicholas. The same question might be in your heart today. I have done so much. I have stolen so much. I have sinned so much. I've disobeyed so much. I've rebelled so much. Who could ever repay this debt? Who could ever pay back all these things that I owe God? And here comes Jesus, and he writes one thing across your heart, Jesus. He is the one who can pay the debt. For our Redeemer not only saves, but Jesus is alive. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we rejoice today that you have sent a Redeemer, a Rescuer, one who is alive, one who lives, one who stands, one who stands with us. And anyone here today who is listening, wherever you might be in Waco or around the world, anyone today can turn to this Jesus and be saved by believing that he is the Son of God, that we cannot repay the debt that we owe. Turning by faith, believing that this Jesus went to a cross and then rose again. May today be the day of life for many in our city, for many in our nation, for many around the world. Because the worst case scenario certainly is living without Jesus, but worse than that is dying without Jesus. Oh God, today, would you give grace to some who are watching, many who are watching, to turn to this Jesus today and find life that lasts forever. Jesus, we praise you that you wrote your name across the debt that we had in our lives built up against you in blood. You wrote your name that you were the Redeemer. And we believe that with our own eyes, one day, those in Christ, we will see you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray together. Amen.